Let's go ahead and take our Bibles, please, and turn to Judges uh, chapter 13. Your handout says uh, chapter 12, and that's because we didn't quite get through all the way through chapter 12. But what I want to do is just uh, say a couple words about those last verses there and then jump right into chapter 13 tonight, which begins several chapters that deal with the life of Samson. Um, now, you recall there back in chapter 12, we saw the consequences of the pride, the pridefulness, the prideful selfishness of the men of Ephraim. Uh, the consequences included uh, at least 42,000 deaths. We saw that. Marilyn, I'm thankful tonight that in Christ, we can find grace to humble ourselves and, and let the pride go and to let life be about the Lord rather than about ourselves. Now, as I said, here at the end of chapter 12, just look there if you would real fast, please. Um, we, uh, we kind of, I think we skipped over uh, the death of Jephthah. You see that here uh, at the end of chapter 12. Uh, and then you see three more judges. You see three more judges. You see Ibsen, Elon, and Abdon. There'll be a quiz on that, Brother Garcia, so get those down. Uh, Ibsen, uh, Elon, and uh, Abdon. Um, and it's just a very short account of their period of service that we see here. A verse, no more Maryland than a verse or two each. And uh, you see descriptions of blessings. You see um, no, Gary, good evening. You see no descriptions of sin or chastening. Uh, you just see what, what seems to be a time of relative peace. And so I think we'd conclude again, Brother uh, Garcia, that this seems to be a time of relative obedience. This 25-year uh, period across these three judges that follow uh, Jephthah uh, seems to be a time of, of relative obedience. Well, the last of them, the last of them dies, and uh, sure enough, the people fall into sin, Gary. We see that here uh, in chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Look there with me, please. Chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. So, Things have been going well. There's been obedience. There's been no chastening, and, and, and that's great. And as we've said before, uh, sometimes, Marilyn, when things are going well for a long time, we, we tend to slip. We get a little sloppy in our spiritual life, our walk with the Lord. We allow it to slip, and, and the Lord will remind us. He'll, he'll correct us. He'll tap us on the shoulder with a, a little trial or a medium-sized trial, or in the case of the, the people of Israel here, the children of Israel, a great big trial. Uh, so chapter 13, verse 1 says this. It says, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for how long? Forty years. Uh, that's a great big trial. And we're going to see God work through this trial and um, we'll see God ultimately uh, correct the people again. Uh, but it's hard to see. It's hard to see. Along the way here, we're going to see a lot of lessons. We're about to see the Lord raise up Samson. And here in this chapter, we'll see his parents. We'll meet his parents. Brother Art, good evening. We'll, we'll see some lessons tonight regarding uh, Samson's father in particular, uh, I believe, tonight. At least that's where God has me focused tonight, Gary. Um, and so before we do that, let's just go ahead and open in prayer, and then I want to just jump right in here to Judges chapter 13. Let's bow our heads. Father God, I thank you tonight, Lord, for uh, your word, for each of your words, for all of them. Lord, thank you for the privilege tonight that we have to uh, gather together, to sing to you, to study together. Uh, Lord, to, to see what you have said, 
for our benefit, which is ultimately for your glory. Lord, as we uh, embark now on a uh, several-week series looking at lessons from the life of Samson, I pray that you'd help us each to see uh, that which you would have us to see and to apply to our lives. Lord, there's many principles that we can observe and uh, distill from these passages. And, and so I pray, Father, that we would come uh, each week with humbled hearts, just simply asking, Lord, what would you have us to see as individuals and as a church uh, in, in each uh, part of, of this series? Father, help me. Uh, I need that. I pray you help each of us now, Lord, to be open and receptive to your word, uh, to be uh, teachable, as I believe that uh, we see Samson's dad being tonight. Lord, thank you for his, his example in that regard, Father. Lord, work here now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the life of Samson, uh, biblical lessons from the, the birth first, uh, and then the, the life uh, of Samson. And of course, it's, it's going to be kind of a mixed bag along the way here. If you, I think you probably know much about Samson's life as well. And uh, there's positives and there's certainly negatives and there's warnings and, and principles that, that we can take. Uh, tonight, uh, things seem to be very positive, Brother Art, and uh, leading up to the birth of Samson. That's a good thing. So uh, it's positive except for the, the situation into which Samson is born, right? That the people are sinning. That's, uh, that's not positive. Uh, Israel did evil, verse 1, again in the sight of the Lord. The Lord delivered them into uh, the hands of the Philistines, and the Philistines oppressed them for uh, 40 years. Now, you remember, of course, a lot about uh, the Philistines or the Philistines. Take your pick of pronunciations if you pick. Uh, these are Canaanite people. Uh, they're descended from the, we could say, cursed family of, of Ham and, uh, and Canaan. They're, they're not people who know the Lord. Uh, maybe they know of him, but they're certainly not uh, worshiping the Lord and, and yielding to him. Uh, we see them as early as Genesis 21. They're, they're called uh, the Philistines or Philistines all the way back in Genesis 21, and we've seen them. Uh, we saw them in Joshua 13. We see them here. You see them in 1 Samuel. Uh, of course, David comes up with a, a pretty uh, Gary, uh, famous, or should we say infamous, infamous and very tall uh, Philistine, Goliath, right? And uh, God gives him a, a victory there uh, against that particular uh, Philistine. And uh, tonight, we, we understand that we meet uh, Samson's parents, and Samson is born into uh, this situation where the, the wicked Philistines have been allowed to oppress God's people in order to correct them, uh, in order to correct them. So uh, I'm not sure how far into this 40-year process it is, and there's different theories, and I think if you start doing math, it, it, it may be the case that uh, we're just a short time into those 40 years um, but in any event, let's, let's meet the parents here, beginning in verse 2. Uh, we meet Manoah uh, and his wife. Verse 2 says, There was a certain man of Zorah, uh, of the family of the Danites, uh, whose name was Manoah. Uh, his name means rest or something like that. That sounds like a good name, Gary. His wife was barren uh, and bare not. She was not able to have children. Uh, she was physically unable, and, and therefore she did not. Uh, verse 3, we see that she's visited by the angel of the Lord uh, who has a message uh, about a baby coming. Verse 3, the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman, this Mrs. Manoah, uh, and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren, she probably understood that, 
and bearest not. Zach, she probably understood that. But, uh, the angel of the Lord says, but thou shalt conceive uh, and bear a son. Now, Raphael, we've seen this sort of thing several times throughout Scripture, right? There's at least three ladies I could think of who uh, were in this situation. There's Sarah, uh, there's Hannah, uh, and who else? Anybody got it? Elizabeth? You think of anybody else? Uh, probably come up with one or two others maybe. Uh, but there's, there, there's several women who have not been able uh, to have children and uh, an angel uh, or the Lord, uh, an angel of the Lord comes along and says, listen, I understand your situation, uh, but understand that you are going to have a child. And uh, we've looked in, in different cases of this type of situation about the faith that it would take to accept that, to receive that, uh, and, and to really believe that. Um, Mrs. Manoah doesn't really seem to have a hard time accepting it. Uh, the angel, at least we don't see any indication of that. Uh, the angel tells her that she will conceive and bear a what? What does it say? Son, right? She's going to have a son. You will both conceive and you'll carry the term and you'll, you'll bear a son. Uh, and then he goes on and he starts um, giving specific instructions to... Uh, Manoah's wife about how she is to conduct herself and if you recognize um, the situation here you, you quickly begin to understand that what the angel of the Lord is describing it's the Nazarite vow right uh, he explains that Samson will uh, will observe this vow from birth and in fact mom you're going to observe it during uh, your pregnancy so let's see it and then we'll stop and we'll talk a little bit about what that vow was about. Uh, verse 4 says this, Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink. So someone who took up a, a, a Nazarite vow uh, did not, didn't even get near grapes, right? Let alone drink alcoholic wine. Uh, they didn't drink grape juice. They didn't eat grapes. They didn't get near the vines. They did not drink alcoholic wine or non-alcoholic wine. Uh, verse 5, for lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head. That was part of the vow also. We, we see elsewhere that normally before a man took this vow, he would shave his head and he would normally uh, keep the vow for about a month. So this wouldn't be a terribly big deal. It's going to be a bigger deal for Samson because the vow is going to be upon him for his, his life. Um, for the child, middle of verse 5, shall be a Nazarite, uh, a Nazarite unto God from the womb, uh, and he shall begin to deliver Israel uh, out of the hands of the Philistines. So uh, look with me here. He's, he's, uh, verse 5 again, he'll be a, uh, for the child shall be a Nazarite. Now, you know a little bit about this. You know a lot about it probably. A Naz, the word Nazarite, it literally means uh, one who's separated or especially separated from sin uh, unto the Lord. Uh, this was a vow that one would take uh, to have a, a special period of, of abstinence from anything uh, that would be overtly sinful or, or prohibited under the ceremonial parts of the law, those things that God would, would call the, the people living under the law to refrain from in order to mark them uh, as a people that were separate from the world. Of course, that would include the, the rules about eating and touching the dead and, and all of those things that, that had value in setting apart and, and marking uh, the children of Israel as a group that was different and separate from uh, the rest of the world. But, but of course, there was to be a, a real practical 
uh, holiness uh, in the lives of these individuals as well. Uh, and so they are back in number six. You don't have to turn there, but if you want, you can just make a note. The, the prescriptions for what you would do and not do under the Nazarite vow uh, are found in number, number six. Uh, no, no grape juice, no, no alcoholic wine, uh, no liquor of any grapes, no moist grapes or dried grapes. Those are raisins, right? Uh, eat nothing that is made of, of the vine tree. Uh, no razor would come to the head, no touching of the dead. Uh, all the days that separated himself from the Lord, he shall come at no dead, and so on. Specific things that would uh, mark or identify this person as uh, having made a, a special vow of being separate from the things of the world and being especially consecrated uh, unto the Lord and, and serving him uh, with a holiness, with, with a uh, godly uh, holiness. Uh, so the angel of the Lord, uh, whoever this is, speaking to Mrs. Manoah, says, listen, uh, Samson is, uh, God is, God is going to bring forth Samson from your womb. That's going to happen. Uh, surprise, praise God. Uh, it's, it looks like it's going to be quite a miraculous thing. Uh, you're going you're gonna to start observing the Nazarite vow even while you're pregnant, while, while that child is growing in your womb. And, and when he's born, he's going to continue to observe this special separation uh, and special dedication to uh, the Lord. Now, Gary, let me stop there tonight and just say this. The, the Nazarite, I know Paul practiced the Nazarite vow. He's raised Jewish, right? And I can see at least a couple of times where, where Paul clearly makes reference to a vow that he was practicing. That said, this doesn't seem to be a thing for today, right? We don't, we don't, we don't seem to see, we don't see instruction to uh, New Testament believers that this vow is something that, that we should practice today. But we certainly do have all kinds of commands regarding the holiness that should be in our lives, right? We're, we're, God's, we're called to live holy lives, uh, yielded to the Holy Spirit and separated from sinful things uh, by the Spirit of God who convicts us and who gives us grace uh, to, to not partake in things that, while they might be quite pleasurable, are also quite sinful. Uh, we're, we're called to come apart from those things and... Um, really have something like a Nazarite vow um, that we live our entire lives really like, like Samson did. And I don't know that I've read this anywhere else or had the thought before, but I, I think in a lot of ways then we can see that the, the Lord's desire that Samson would live his life uh, according to this vow, I, I think really pictures the Lord's desire for all men, that we would all live holy and separated lives uh, seeking the Lord to be our source of joy and seeking, uh, serving the Lord to be a, a source of satisfaction and uh, pleasure in our lives rather than seeking satisfaction and pleasure uh, and contentment in, in things of the world, particularly sinful things. And so we understand that this was somewhat unique for Samson, but certainly this, this call, the same call is upon us uh, today. And, and that's not a bad thing at all. It, it's a good thing. Uh, see verse 6 now, verse 6. Uh, Manoah's wife, she goes to Manoah and she says, well, you're not going to believe what's happened. You're not, listen, listen. Verse 6 says, then the woman came and told her husband saying, a man of God came unto me. I don't believe she understood who had come to her just yet. Uh, his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God. 
uh, very terrible, kind of scary. Uh, uh, you could just hear her brother, honey, it was kind of scary, to be honest. This wasn't uh, quite a, a, a typical person, not a normal situation. Uh, his countenance was like an angel of, of God, very terrible, a little bit scary. Um, uh, I asked him, uh, but I asked him not whence he was. I, I didn't ask about him, where he came from, who he was. Neither told me his name. He did not, uh, I did not ask, and, and he did not tell. Verse 7, but, but he said unto me, so again, this is Mrs. Manoah talking to Manoah. She says, but he, the angel of the Lord, said unto me, behold, she gives the message, uh, thou shalt conceive and bear a son. She recounts what's been told to her. Now drink no wine, nor strong drink, neither eat any unclean thing. Uh, under the ceremonial law, things that were unclean, shellfish and pork and things like that. Praise God, we can eat these things today. Someone say amen. Thank you. Uh, amen. I had pork tonight. It was delicious. Neither eat any unclean thing, for uh, the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day uh, of his death. Now, please see. If you weren't paying attention, pay attention now, okay? <laughs> please see verse 8. I want you to see... Manoah's response. And this is really uh, the response of Manoah to this situation is really what God has me focused on uh, today. Look, look at his response. Um, Manoah did not. Marilyn, let's talk about what he didn't do at first. He didn't say, oh, honey, you're crazy. Uh, you know, you're getting older now. That, that's not going to happen. You probably ate something and maybe you had a bad dream. He didn't say that. He did not say that. Um, he evidently believed her. He was a man of God. And I believe, uh, Gary, I believe that Manoah believed that God could do anything that God chose to do and that God also had authority to command Mrs. Manoah if God chose to. Uh, if he sent a man or an angel or whomever he sent to deliver this message, God had the ability to do that and he has the authority to command her. So his, his inclination is not to question it. His inclination is to yield himself to God and, and pray to God and say, okay, God, help me get this right. Uh, God, you teach me, you instruct me. I don't wanna do this wrong. God, if you're gonna do this miraculous thing in my life, uh, help me to respond and, and know what to do and, uh, and to do it in a way that will be right in, in your eyes. And, and what a great heart. Uh, it's, it's, it's a faithful, yielded, teachable heart. Verse 8 says this, Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O my Lord, he's mine too, Manoah, let the man of God which thou didst sense come, unto, come uh, again unto us. Send him back. Uh, I, I, I want to hear it. Uh, I want to hear it again. I want to ask questions. I want to get it right. Uh, I don't think this is a faithless response. I, I don't think he's saying, I don't believe it. Send him again. I, I think it's, 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 it's not that at all. How, why do I say that? Well, look at the next phrase in the middle of verse 8. He says, and teach us, and teach us what we shall do unto the child that shall be born. What a great heart, Brother Garcia. He's not saying, I don't believe it. I need to hear it with my own ears. He's saying, Lord, please send that man again. Uh, I'm just, I just want him to teach me everything that I'm going to need uh, to do what? Uh, to do unto the child that shall be born. I want to be the right kind of parent. God, you've given my wife instructions about how she's to live now. Maybe he's looking for some instructions about how, structions, some instructions about how he should be preparing. Uh, what does he need to do? What, what does he need to know? Um, listen, 
um, in all of this, uh, I've said it already, I see a humble man who is teachable. Art, he's not saying, you know what, this is impossible, or he's not saying, you know what, you're going to have a baby. Okay, I believe that. Uh, I know how to raise children. Uh, they haven't had any, evidently, but he's seen lots of children uh, being raised by other people. Uh, he used to be one himself, probably, Gary. <laughs> he's an adult now. Um, his heart is to humbly yield and ask instruction so that he can do everything in his power to get this right for the Lord. Uh, that takes humility. Uh, it takes humility. This, this is very different. Uh, don't, don't miss that this account comes right on the heels of the chapter 12 account of the pridefulness of the men of Ephraim. And I, I, I don't know, but I wonder if the Holy Spirit has is, is put this here uh, at this point in history just to draw that contrast. That there was that, that prideful jealousy uh, and, and, the, and the fight picking, the provoking uh, that, that led the men of Ephraim into. And the 42,000, it's 42,000, right, uh, were killed uh, as a result of that. And, and, and boom, here you are right on the heels of that in the next chapter. I, I realize it's at least 25 years later. But right on the heels of the account of Ephraim in chapter 12, there's this, we find this wonderful humility, uh, people, a man, a man who's willing to be teachable. Gary, I pray that no matter how much I learn about God and his word, no matter how old the Lord allows me to get, that I will always be teachable. Uh, and boy, what a great prayer for everyone. Uh, listen, tell me, tell me this, <laughs> tell me this, have, have you found that the more you read and study and learn about the Bible, the more you're convicted that you don't know very much? <laughs> you ever feel that way? The more you read and study and learn, the more you realize how much more there is to learn. Uh, you know, as, as, as you skim across the surface of Scripture and the Lord begins to open it up to you, you, you realize there's a lot to the Word of God that, you know, I didn't see as a younger believer who didn't know very much, but there's, there's a richness and a, and a depth that I, I've only started to, you probably had that experience, right, that you just start to comprehend it, uh, and you quickly realize, boy, I, I need the Lord to teach me. Uh, there's a lot that I still have to learn, no matter who you are. I don't care if you have, you know, 16 PhDs. They're, they're, over time, the Lord still reveals himself, and it, it's, a, it's a process, uh, and so, again, I, I would urge us tonight to never, uh, never let the devil, <laughs> never let your pride or the devil uh, get you to a place where you think you know the Bible well enough and you can just stop learning. Uh, Proverbs, of course, is filled with wisdom about being instructed and, and learning. Right there in Proverbs 1.8, Psalm writes, My son, hear the instruction of thy father, forsake not the law of the... Hear instruction. Uh, in Proverbs 4.1, he says, Hear, ye children, the instruction of a father. And for sure, he is uh, literally speaking to children who should receive instruction from their parents, but that's picturing uh, the, the, the teachable heart of, of all of God's people, no doubt. Uh, going throughout life with a heart willing and able to receive instruction, not from earthly parents, but from our Heavenly Father. In, in Proverbs 8 and verse 10, the Bible says, Receive my instruction and not silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. Value instruction in God's words above other things. Proverbs 8.33, the Bible commands, Hear instruction and be wise and, and refuse it not. One more, Proverbs 12 and verse 1, the Bible says, Whoso loveth instruction, 
instruction loveth knowledge, but he that hateth reproof is brutish. Uh, Brother Art, brutish is not a good thing. (laughs) I don't want to be that. So I, I pray, and I just want to encourage before we end tonight, We'll bow our heads and we'll pray. Lord, help us to stay teachable. Help us not to pridefully conclude that we've learned about all there is to learn and we know enough of your word and we know it well enough and how to apply it to our lives. And No, God, keep us teachable all the way uh, until we're home. Now, when we get to heaven, brother, I think we'll have some things to learn. The Lord will perfect us. Uh, and then maybe then we don't need to learn again anymore. Maybe then it'll be just about... Uh, doing, (laughs) practicing uh, what we've learned. But we're still in the learning business, this side of of the rapture, okay? So Manoah prays. He prays, God, I send that man back. I I need to learn. Uh, Teach us what we should do unto the child that shall be born. And the Lord answers, the Lord graciously answers Manoah's humble prayer. Verse 9, God answered, uh, and God hearkened to the voice of Manoah, And the angel of God came again unto the woman as she sat in the field. Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Now he prayed. What did he pray? Uh, Back in verse 8, O my Lord, let the man of God which did uh, come again unto us and teach us. Gary, maybe he wasn't specific enough in his prayer. He said us, come back. Well, the angel did come back to her, came back to her. Uh, Manoah was not with her, verse 9, but she ran and got him. Uh, she was quick to do that. She, she recognized there was an urgency, go and get Manoah. God has answered his prayer. Uh, time, time to start hearing and, and learning together. Verse 10, the woman made haste and ran and showed her husband and said unto him, Behold, the man hath appeared unto me uh, that came unto me the other day. She wants her husband to hear it because he, he desired to, he, he needed to, and she understands that the man is back in, in response to Manoah's prayer. Uh, Manoah was quick to get himself there. He had an urgency uh, to learn whatever the Lord had to teach him, to share with him. Uh, Verse 11, Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said unto him, Art thou the man that spakest unto the woman? You know, Mrs. Manoah here. Uh, And he, the man, said, I am. Uh, I am him. Uh, And Manoah requests to be instructed. He says, okay, good. Uh, This is what I prayed for. God has graciously answered my prayer, given me an audience with this one who told my wife and instructed her, and now's my chance to receive the same instruction. Verse 12, Manoah said, now let thy words come to pass. How shall we order the child, and how how shall we do uh, unto him? What should tell us? Tell us everything that God wants from us with regard to this child, how, how we'd raise him. How do we handle this? What do we do? Um, you understand Manoah didn't have the benefit of having the completed can of scripture, right? Um, he, art, he probably had the books of Moses and maybe he had Joshua, but he didn't have um, completed a can of scripture. He didn't, probably couldn't open up Proverbs. I'm pretty sure of that. And, you know, see instruction and, and wisdom. And uh, he needed to hear pretty directly what God desired. Uh, the angel of the Lord answers him and, by reiterating basically what had been said to Manoah's wife. I'll say this, review is a good thing. <laughs> you, know, you can read a passage once and get a little bit. You can read a passage again and, and learn it a little more and, and get a little more. 
the angel of the Lord basically just repeats what's been said. And this is because this is what God needed them to hear. The Lord wanted them to be focused on this uh, vow of separation, of this vow of holiness that was to uh, be taken up by Manoah's wife and to launch Samson into the world uh, in, into the same vow that, that he would observe in his whole life, his, his own life, I mean to say. And so verse 13 says this, The angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, Of all that I said unto the woman, let her beware. You know, let her heed, let her, let her take care to do what I've said. Verse 14, She may not, she may not eat of anything that cometh uh, of the vine, uh, neither let her drink wine or strong drink, that's still good advice, uh, nor eat any unclean thing, that was an aspect of the law that is not binding on us today, uh, all that I commanded her, let her observe. So the, the instruction to Manoah is, hey, you know, the instruction right now is for your wife, uh, hear what God desires for her, uh, to live with this separation and, and set-apartness and, and holiness. And I'm sure part of God's intention here is that Manoah would hear it from self so that he could support his wife. He could encourage her obedience um, and support her, that he could be a spiritual leader for her um, at this time, not unlike the way men today are called to be spiritual leaders for their wives. Uh, knowing what God has said to us uh, in his word and practicing it and encouraging our wives to practice those parts that are um, especially uh, or uniquely applicable to women. Of course, we're called to lead our wives in all of God's words, and that would include those parts that are uniquely applicable to women. Uh, Mrs. Manoa had a part that was uniquely, uniquely, I can't say it, we'll move on, <laughs> applicable, uniquely applicable to her, and so he will be prepared now to encourage her in this. Um, I don't think Manoah quite understands yet who he's speaking with. Uh, Art, he offers a little hospitality. He offers a meal uh, to this man. The one here is called the angel of the Lord, angel of God, at least once also. So verse 15, Manoah says unto the angel of the Lord, I pray thee, let us detain thee until uh, we shall have made ready a kid for thee, uh, goat, uh, a meal. He says, stay and, and we'll prepare, this is hospitality, uh, we'll prepare a meal for you. Um, back in Genesis, where um, Abraham was visited by three angels, right? Um, he, he offered the same to the angels and, and they ate. They, they stayed and, and, and they ate. Uh, this time it's a little bit different. The angel of the Lord responds and suggests, hey, you know what? It would be better, rather than feeding me, it would be better if you took that kid, uh, that, that animal, <laughs> and, and used it as an offering to the Lord. Uh, that's what the angel says. Uh, verse 16, the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, uh, thou, though, though thou detain me, I will not eat of thy bread. I, not going to eat uh, right now. Uh, and if thou wilt offer a burnt offering, thou must offer it unto the Lord. Now, I, I don't, you might conclude, I don't think this is the case. I don't think that Manoah was offering a burnt offering to this man and the angel says, no, offer it to the Lord. I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think the angel is just sort of denying the hospitality um, politely and saying, hey, you know, it would even be better than feeding me. What would be even better than feeding me would be, be making an offering to the Lord. 
the Lord has blessed you with this, this um, promise and this instruction delivered twice. Uh, the best thing that you could do right now is to worship the Lord the way the Lord wanted to be worshiped in that day. And so the angel instructs him that way. Verse 16, at the end of it says, for Manoah knew not that he was an angel of the Lord. He didn't, he didn't understand that yet. Uh, he didn't understand that. Uh, the angel specifically references a burnt offering. We studied that not too long ago back in Leviticus. This was a voluntary offering. Uh, you remember it was burned up completely and we talked about how that pictured a couple of things. Chiefly, uh, the fact that Christ offered himself completely at the cross, right? Gary, Christ didn't hold anything back at the cross at all, did he? He gave himself completely and totally from head to toe, uh, his life at the cross. And one of the things evidently the burnt offering pictures is the completeness um, of that sacrifice. It was, it was burned up, uh, picturing the completeness with which Christ would offer himself. Now, uh, today, of course, we don't, we're not currying favor with God by offering ourselves completely to him. Uh, and yet we are called to yield ourselves as completely as possible to the Lord, right? So this offering that pictured the, the total sacrifice of Christ on the cross probably also alludes to the completeness to which we're to yield ourselves to the Lord. Those of us who are in Christ and who've benefited from his sacrifice, we're called to yield ourselves that completely to the Lord as well. So. I think that's probably sort of a secondary part of what's pictured in that offering. Uh, in any event, let's move on now. Verse 17, Manoah asks the name of the angel of the Lord. Now, this is very important, and we'll spend a couple minutes on this. Verse 17, Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, what is thy name? Hey, man, what's your name anyway? Uh, what is thy name? That when these sayings come to pass, we may do thee honor. Uh, you know, we'd like to be able to tell people and, and honor you uh, when, when, the, when, when the baby is born, <laughs> uh, we'd like to be able to tell people, hey, uh, you know, Joe came and told us this was going to happen. What an amazing thing. We'd like to be able to tell people who told us this. And verse 18 is, is very interesting and warrants and deserves a, a little bit of special attention here. Uh, verse 18, the angel of the Lord said unto him, why askest thou thus after my name? He says, Gary, why are you asking my name? Why, why is it that you're doing that? Uh, he says, seeing it is what? What does it say? It says secret. He says, why are you asking my name? Seeing that it's, it's secret. Now, the word secret there is very interesting. I don't know, if you, have you ever studied that or thought about that? Uh, you might just look at it and say, well, he said it's a secret, move on. Well, there is a little more to it than that. Um, King James translators said that secret could be translated wonderful. They put that in the margin of their 1611 edition. They said secret could be translated wonderful. Uh, so something that is um, wonderful, um, it could be so wonderful that you almost can't process it. Like almost, it would almost be better that it be kind of hidden from you because it's, it's so um, awesome. It, it's so amazing that you qu don't quite know how to process it. Um, something that's that wonderful, sometimes you, you don't even know really what to do with it. Art, I kind of wonder if, if um, the rapture will be like that. 
it, it'll be so wonderful that we won't really even be able in that first moment, I think, to, to know how to respond. I, I know the Lord will, he'll help us in that moment and show us and, and we'll respond completely appropriately. But um, I wanna share with you tonight, King James translator said this word could also have been translated uh, wonderful. Uh, in the Hebrew, Gary, um, it's translated from two instances of a word that is elsewhere translated wonderful right next to each other, right next to each other. So as, as you may know, in Hebrew, we've talked about this, when, when two words are put right together, the same word basically are abutted right up next to each other in, in the Hebrew text, normally what that will do is amplify it or, or make it translate like very something, very something. Or, uh, so it could have been translated um, very wonderful or awesomely wonderful or, you know, so amazing that it was better kept a secret kind of a thing. All right, go ahead. Yeah, I, that's that, so our, our, it could also be that he didn't want his name exposed because he didn't want to detract from, from the Lord. Uh, that's, that's a possibility. I'm, I'm going to answer that in, in a little bit different. I'm not going to answer it directly. Hang with me for a second, okay? What I want you to know, and just hear me here, please. Um, this the word that's translated secret here in Isaiah 9, 6 is translated wonderful. Do you know that verse? I think you do. You know that verse, don't you? The same word that's translated secret here is translated wonderful in Isaiah 9 and verse 6. That verse says this, for unto us a child is born. This is the prophecy of the coming of Christ. Unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called what? Wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the what? The Prince of Peace. And so largely based on that observation, the Hebrew word, they're the same in both places. A lot of commentators, including Unger, who you may read, asserts there's no question in his mind that the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Christ. He says, you know what? Um, he... He, the, the word that he used to respond to the question about his name is the same exact Hebrew word that the Holy Spirit gave Isaiah in, in one of the, as one of the names that, that Christ would be called wonderful. Uh, and so he says, listen, uh, I, don't know, I don't know how to process this except to say that it would seem that this angel of the Lord right here is the Lord himself. Uh, come to deliver this, uh, I'll say, wonderful message to Manoah and his wife. Now, does it absolutely have to be that way? It does not, but I think there's a little bit more evidence here to imply that this is the Lord. Uh, not, not just an angel of the Lord, but, but the Lord himself. And you know there's other places in Scripture where the Lord himself is clearly described as an angel of the Lord. There's no question. Here, it, it's a little bit hard to see until you dig in and, uh, and chew on it, but I want you to see a couple of more things that, that may, well, a few more things, a few more things that may lead you to that conclusion. Um, so Manoah hears the answer, and he, he does what the angel suggested. He, he makes an offering. Verse 19, Manoah took a kid with a meat offering, that was grain, right? 
and offered it upon a rock unto the Lord. Uh, and the angel did what? What's the next word there? What is it? Wondersly, right? So that's the same word. <laughs> that's the same word. It's the verb form of the noun that he used before. He said, my name is wonderful or secret, the same word that is used in Isaiah 9, 6. And now right here, what the angel did is described as, as wondrously. It's the verb form of the same uh, word that's translated secret and, and, and wonderful. So, okay, the Lord, the Lord is wonderful and he does wondrously. The angel did wondrously. Um, and Manoah and his wife looked on. Okay, oh, Manoah obeyed the suggestion. Uh, he made an offering to the Lord. And then something rather miraculous happens, which again, I think, uh, should lead us to the, at least consider the possibility that he's talking to the Lord himself. Uh, verse 20 says this, it came to pass when the flame went up toward heaven, this is a burnt offering, right? So there's, there's an altar, there's a fire, there's an offering of the kid and the grain, the meal offering together. Uh, so there's flames. The Bible says, for it, for it came to pass when the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar, see this please, that the angel of the Lord did what? Ascended in the flame of the altar. Uh, that's what it says. Uh, this, this person, whomever this person is, uh, was there speaking to Mr. and Mrs. Manoah. They performed this burnt offering, and the next thing that they see is the angel kind of entering into the flame and ascending upward, presumably to heaven, uh, in the flame. That doesn't happen every day. Uh, Gary, I, we did a little barbecue tonight. That did not happen. At, at the parsonage. That, that did not happen. Um, the Holy Spirit is seen in the New Testament as um, tongues of what? Fire. Okay. Um, did Moses have uh, an experience that kind of reminds you of this also? There on the mount, um, the Lord came. Well, that wasn't at the mount. The, but the, um, where was it? Exodus 3 wasn't on the mount. Um, anyway, the Lord came to Moses and um, spoke to him out of a what? Burning bush. So again, the, the flames. Angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and beheld the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. God called unto him out of the midst of the bush. So there's a number of places in scripture where the Lord's presence is associated um, with fire which is pretty awesome for, for a lot of reasons. We don't have time to go into all that tonight. Um, so just the fact that this presence is associated with fire that does not harm the person um, demands something supernatural about this person's presence and, and their identity. Now, this would be pretty shocking to see. Zach, if I'm talking to you and the next thing you know, I'm you know, encapsulated by fire and off I go to heaven, you, you'd be shocked. <laughs> no doubt they were shocked too. Um, what you see next though implies that they were not only shocked, but they were compelled to a reverent response at their understanding of whom they had seen. 
Uh, look with me in the next part of verse 20. In the middle of verse 20, the Bible says, and Manoah and his wife looked on it. And here's the thing. What did they do? Fell on their faces to the ground. Why would they do that? Why would they fall on their faces? I don't think it was like, oh, they passed out because this weird thing happened. I think they realized that while that might have been an angel, it more likely was the Lord himself and that the best thing that you could do in the presence of the Lord is just get down, <laughs> you know, uh, get down on the ground, fall, fall on your face. Many people have said to me or some people have said to me over the years, they, they can't wait to get home to the Lord and, and see him and, and to fall on their knees or fall on their face and just hold on to his feet. Um, hold on to his feet. And I, you know, I don't even know <laughs> how I could respond in the presence of the Lord, but I know these two fell on their faces in a, um, a display of very humble reverence. Verse 21 says this, the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord, not, not just a man. Um, maybe the, the next best piece of evidence that they saw the Lord, or at least Manoah felt that he, or believed that he had seen the Lord himself, is verse 22. He, he thought in verse 22 that he was about to die. Why, why would, he wouldn't think that he was going to die if he saw, just saw, saw an angel. People saw angels. Um, but scripturally, he is on pretty strong ground. If he believes that he's seen the Lord, um, there's scriptural suggestion that he would die, right? He, he would die. Um, and that's exactly what he thinks. He believes now that he has seen the Lord, and I believe that's distinctly possible, so it's not crazy for him to think now that, that he might die. Verse 22, Manoah said unto his wife, we shall surely die. Why? Because we've seen who? God. He believed, he believed this. He believed this was God, and I, and I believe he may be right. Um, his wife has a good response. Uh, husbands, aren't you glad for, for level-headed wives who are able to just bring a calmness and wisdom to difficult situations at times? Manoah's wife, uh, she has a presence of mind to uh, offer some, some good solid wisdom here. She basically says, listen, I don't think, Gary, that God is going to kill us uh, why? Well, I don't think he would do that. It, why, why, would he have, why would he have come and given us this message about a son if he's going to kill us? Why would he receive our offering if he's going to kill us? Uh, none of that would make sense if God was about to kill us. And that's what she says. Verse 23, but his wife said unto him, praise God for, for level-headed, wise wives. Wife said unto him, if the Lord were pleased to kill us, he would not have received a burnt offering and a meat offering at our hands or from us. Neither would he have showed us all these things about the son, nor would as at this time have told us such things as these. He just wouldn't. If God was going to kill us, he wouldn't have bothered to tell us these things. He just said, I'm going to have a son, and uh, I believe I'm going to have a son rather than being killed. Well, she was right. She was right. Her logic is is correct praise god for for logic and, and wisdom and so samson is born in verse 24 uh, the woman and the woman bear a son he and the lord said she would and she did she bear a son 
and called his name Samson. His name refers to sun or sunshine. Uh, The Bible says, and the child grew and the Lord blessed him. Praise God. The favor of God is upon him. Um, And now see verse 25. This final verse uh, has a wonderful phrase here. And the spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtalal. This would be... um, this would be west, uh, central Israel to the west of Jerusalem. And this would be um, near that territory that had been kind of home base for the, the Philistines. So you can picture Samson beginning to grow up and uh, seeing the oppression of the Philistines throughout the land, but being close to kind of their home base Uh, maybe seeing more of it than others. And the Bible says the spirit of the Lord began to move him. Uh, The word move here has the idea of stirring up, Uh, not just like taking him from point A to point B. That word doesn't have that idea. It has more the like the way you, you might be moved or stirred to praise God when you think about all that he's done for you doesn't mean that he moved you from this pew to that pew. It means that he, he stirred you up to praise him because you're considering what he's done for you. And that's, that's the idea here. The spirit of God is, is upon uh, Samson and working in his life at a young age, uh, stirring him, causing him to see uh, the oppression. Uh, no doubt the Lord wants to begin preparing him uh, to, to respond to the oppression, and that will that'll be greatly aided if the Lord is stirring him to see exactly what is happening around them. So um, the Lord is all over the birth and the early life of Samson. Uh, he delivered a, mirac- a message of the miraculous birth here to uh, Samson's mother. Uh, it's not a it's not miraculous like the birth of Christ, but it's miraculous in that she had been barren. And um, we see the wonderful response, uh, teachable, humble, prayerful response of Manoah and God working now even in the earliest part of Samson's life. Um, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Is it the Lord? Is it the pre-incarnate Christ who came to Mr. and Mrs. Manoah? I rather think that it was. If, if you didn't agree, that's okay. Um, I don't think the Bible demands that beyond the shadow of a doubt, but I think everything that you observe here uh, leads me to that conclusion. It leads me to that conclusion. That's not, uh, it's not important that we agree 100% on that. I think what's, what's more important is that we understand that one way or another, God got this message to this couple. God worked miraculously in their lives. They responded prayerfully and with teachable hearts and with obedience, and, and God blessed in response to that. That's, that's what we, I think, need to agree on tonight. Those are the principles that I believe we need to take out of this, this chapter tonight and, and just stop and pray and say, Lord, you know, show me, uh, am I as teachable as I should be tonight? Have I, have I got to a point where I kind of feel like I know it all and I, I've forgotten to be really teachable and 
forgotten to ask you, Lord, to, to teach me as we study together, as I read at home and, and study and, and when I'm in church. If I have, Lord, just help me to be teachable again. Help me to be teachable. Uh, help me to be prayerful and to pray for your instruction uh, in my heart. And, and Lord, help me to obey that which you teach me from your word. And um, Lord, help me to have a heart to do just that. I'm going to stop there and pray. And then we'll sing, take some prayer requests. Lord, thank you tonight for this passage. Father, I rather think, Lord, that it's, it's you who's come to this couple, and that's um, an extraordinary privilege that they enjoyed, if, if that's correct. And Lord, of course, whether it was you or uh, an angel that you sent, uh, they had an extraordinary experience, an extraordinary privilege uh, to hear directly from you, and Lord, to have you work directly in their lives as you did. Father, we know tonight that we hear directly from you through your word, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, we are privileged to have all the scripture that, that Manoah did not have. Lord, help us to value it. Father, give us a heart tonight to be teachable. Uh, Lord, to come to your word, to come to Bible study, to come to uh, preaching of your word with a heart that is truly open and teachable. Yes, a discerning heart to discern uh, the difference between what is scriptural and what is not. But Lord, when we are clearly being taught something scriptural, I pray, Father, that you would give us a heart to receive it, to be instructed, and Lord, to yield to that instruction and to know your grace to live it. Father, I thank you tonight for Manoah's example of a desire to be sure of your instruction, a desire to know it, a desire to seek whatever else you may have had for him, and a desire to obey. Lord, we thank you tonight for their example of prayerfulness and worshipfulness. Lord, I pray tonight that you give us the same heart. Help us to be teachable, prayerful, worshipful, obedient. Lord, I don't know tonight if we've been convicted in any way that we've not been as teachable as we should be. Father, I pray that um, we might just take a moment tonight, each of us individually, and, and confess that if you're convicting us in that regard. But whether or not that's the case, Lord, I think tonight we would do well to simply stop and, and pray, Lord, help me to stay teachable, help me to get teachable and stay teachable, to be open to all of your words, uh, to prayerfully uh, seek to know you and your words and to obey them uh, with the strength that is from you. I'll give you a moment to pray. Father, as we look ahead to the next, uh, the chapters that are coming, I can't help but think, Lord, if we would stay teachable and yielded to you, we could avoid some of the mistakes that we will see Samson make. 
Lord, I'm sure that's true. And so as we proceed through this series, I pray that you would help us to keep in mind this principle of being teachable. Lord, that we not fall into sin that would be harmful to us and those around us and also harm our ability to bring you glory in our lives through our obedience. Lord, help us to be teachable. Give us grace to not just know what you desire, but to do what you desire for your honor and your glory. Lord, help us not to fall into the trap of being prideful about the obedience that you enable. Lord, help us not to fall into the trap of, of trying to curry favor with you through our obedience. We didn't get saved through good works, and we don't stay saved through good works. We understand that. Also understand tonight, Father, that you, you are pleased to reward us in eternity for a right-hearted service. And so I pray that you teach us to serve you with right hearts. And Lord, that you bless and give us thankful hearts. Father, I love you. I thank you. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.